We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Listening to Buzz Beat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome in, Hornets fans, Queen City Hoops readers, uh, and Buzz Beat listeners. Uh, this is episode 44. Is that right, Richie? 44. 44. Right? Yeah, Frank's number. Wow. Well, oh, gosh. Hopefully that's not an omen and how this is going to go. But, um, but here we are, episode 44. Uh, of Buzzbeat Radio. Thanks to everybody who's hung in there and, and come back and listen to every episode and interacted with us on Twitter. Uh, we do appreciate you guys a lot. You make this possible for us and make it worthwhile. Um, don't forget, we are a, a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network where you can find lots of other shows, uh, podcasts on uh, you know NBA Fantasy, Salary Cap, uh, separate teams, you name it, they've got it. And don't forget our good friends over at Sports Channel 8 um, taking us through the end of football season here. Uh, it, was a, it was a great Sports Channel 8, a classic Sports Channel 8 uh, football game, I thought, last night, Brian. I was watching the end of it and, and thought about you as the Deacons uh, snuck past the Wolfpack in the most classic NC State loss, I think, of all time. Like, that's, that's what those guys do. They set new records every week. It's incredible. It was like, yeah, let's have the the, the freshman receiver fumble it on the way into the the possible game winning touchdown with uh, under two minutes left to play, and then of course there's a contro- controversial fumble at the end, and of course there's no goal line cam for some inexplicable reason. So yeah, the state rewrites the, that book seemingly every week. Absolutely remarkable, I and mean, you just can't make this stuff up. What NC <laughs> State does with their football program, it's incredible. <laughs> Um. All right. So yeah, check out our friends over at Sports Channel Eight. They're gearing up um, for some good basketball, ACC basketball coverage uh, for basketball season that is here. College basketball is back. That is crazy. Uh, and Brian Geisinger has been doing our good friend here with us has been doing some good stuff on ACCSports.com. Brian, I read your piece about Kyle Guy the other day, um, and it and it made my day better. So I'm, I'm excited. Glad, glad to hear he liked it on Twitter. Which like I was like, all oh. right. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Very good. So you're doing some good stuff on ACC Hoops. Check out that on ACCSports.com. Richie, I heard that you punted on going to a Christmas 
craft trade show so you can join us on BuzzBeat Radio today. I'm shocked. You yes. want to go to the Christmas tree. Yeah, it was a difficult decision. Uh, I knew that this had to get recorded, so I had to turn that down. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't accompany my wife for that. So, um, yeah, I, I just don't get into the Christmas spirit until after Thanksgiving anyway, which I'm excited for, which is uh, I got a two-day work week. So I'm excited for that two-day work week, and I get to eat a lot of food on Thursday. I, uh, <laughs> Richie, I can't tell you how shocked I am that you'd rather talk Hornets basketball than go to the Christmas <laughs> trade show. But, but uh, so, so on that note, let's try to jump in here. Uh, we'll cover three games, Cleveland – uh, on Wednesday night, the national uh, TV game, Hornets roll out the, the classic unis, which I thought looked incredible, even better uh, when I saw the guys wearing them on TV. Uh, we'll cover the Chicago game uh, from Friday night, and then we're recording this on a Sunday morning, so then the Clippers win, much-needed win, from last night. Okay, uh, let's start with Cleveland. Um, Richie, you kind of start, kind of guide the ship here to start talking about this one. I, I have a whole page of notes, and I'm not really exactly sure – where to start? Uh, a very disappointing second half for the Hornets once again, though, here. Yes. I, I'm not really sure where to start either. This was Batum's first game back. Uh, I thought he wasn't going to come back until the end of the calendar year, maybe even to January. So it was good to see him back You know, from the get-go. He was aggressive. He scored the first six points of the game. Uh, I thought that set the tone for him and how he aggressive he was going to be. And a lot of those came on dunks, which you don't really see from Batum. Um, so he did a good job of getting behind his man uh, for a lot of easy attempts. Uh, his shot wasn't falling from deep, but he he still needed out there, and it was good to see him back and the, the different elements that he added to the Hornets team um, with his ball movement, his facilitation, um, just someone to, to, to hand the ball if uh, Kimba's not out there. And, you know, he's, he's the first one off, and I talked about this on the Buzzcast. He's the first one off, uh, I think right now, maybe because of conditioning, uh, but I think that needs to become a thing because he needs to be playing with the bench unit uh, a ton because they need more facilitation. We saw that uh, Carter Williams did not play in this game, and Monk was the uh, the point guard in the backup unit, and it just doesn't run as smoothly when he's the backup point guard. So it was good to see Batum come off first. Uh, so Lamb came on off the bench, and Batum was uh, a good facilitator for that second unit. And uh, for this game, I just thought we started uh, a little slow. And then we obviously finished pretty bad as well. Uh, we got in a big hole in the beginning of the game. We were down 19 to four. Our defense was just was was pretty poor. We got a, a lot of ball watching. MKG uh, was caught ball watching a couple times. But I thought after that early timeout, we kind of settled things down and got back to Hornets basketball to finish that first quarter. Yeah, we could not finish the game. We blew another lead, and that just seems to be a trend that's been happening the past I don't know week week and a half. Yeah. I- I thought Nick Batum, I was, I was shocked, actually, just throughout this game, how good he looked. I mean, his conditioning is clearly where it needs to be. Um, he was moving around defensively really well in this one. Uh, I mean, he, he has two steals there in the first quarter, and I know one of them leads to a fast-break opportunity for Charlotte. I mean, really flying around all over the place, making the ball move side to side. Uh, you know, this game started, our offense, Richie, you were just talking about it, was was awful. Uh, a lot of Dwight Howard kind of trying to get deep position around the rim, calling for the ball, not getting it. Um, he would like and it just puts our offense in kind of quicksand and, and, and it can't get going um so not enough screening i thought from our offense early in that game and you know i thought it was interesting clifford gets all the starters off actually before the force before the fourth quarter ends and lebron stays out there uh the entire first quarter which i think is 
pretty much uh, a, a regular sub uh, rotation for Tyron Lou. So I thought it was interesting, Dwayne Bacon having to guard LeBron in a few spots in this game. Kind of a joke. Um, but, uh, but yeah, some notes ahead from early in this one. BG? Yeah, uh, for, good to see. First off, good to see Batum back. I, I, I'm i on the same page with you guys. I thought not only in that game, I mean, his shot hasn't fallen but I, in any of these first three games, but I think he's, aside from that, I think he's played well, and I think the team has been pretty pretty darn good with him on the floor. And there are certainly some numbers that would that would back that up. But I thought he did a great job playing off of Kemba. Uh, had had I would say a handful of just really nice basket cuts that Ricky Richie, like you said, he finished with a dunk, uh, including one that meant the whole entire Cleveland defense loaded up on Kemba, and he was basically just Crow- Crowder turned his back to him, and he was able to knife in there, and Kemba hit him. I think Kemba's passing, by the way. The last few games, on a side note, I think Kemba's passing has been terrific. Uh, I don't know if it's resulted in a lot of assists, but I think he's thrown some absolute gorgeous passes. And like you said, I felt with Dwight uh, Spencer, you know, I feel they see Kevin Love starting at, you know, opposite at center, and they think, oh, well, this is a great opportunity for us to try to get some post-ups, or Dwight thinks, hey, this is a matchup I should I should be able to score on this guy in the post. And, like, it was just too... Too, too many long, deep post touches. Van Gundy talked about it during the game. And that guy gets himself into trouble when he catches it 15 feet from the hoop and then tries to back in. Like That almost that results in a turnover a third of the time, like literally a third of the time. So, um, But, yeah, the, you, other than that, LeBron and Kevin Love are so good, especially LeBron. I mean, that guy's a treat. And the LeBron-Love pick-and-roll – it didn't even matter if it was Cody or Dwight. I mean, I thought Dwight was especially bad against it, as he's always going to be against sort of stretch five type players. But I think even against Zeller, they had they were getting good looks on that, and it's just tough to stop. Um, even though they are sort of two like sized players, and you you maybe wouldn't like to even think about uh, the Hornets just switching on that, but um, and, and just trying to roll with that as opposed to trying to fight over the top and get back through. And it just felt like Cleveland was. Kept getting it looks on it. But, uh, you know, kind of another missed opportunity. It feels like with this game and the Boston game, they've had big chances to take down some of the best teams in the East, and they've kind of just slipped out of their hands. Yeah, Cleveland is a different animal when love, you know, without Tristan Thompson, with love at five. They can just spread you out, let LeBron get the ball at the top, and it's almost like watching backyard football. I mean, they just kind of like, they just spread it out and <laughs> have a cutter through the middle, and LeBron just makes the right read. Every, I mean, every time, every yeah, time, it, every time. <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. It's too easy. So, I, you know, I think Cleveland is, you know, it's interesting because this is what probably if Cleveland ends up getting you know, deep into the playoffs, this is probably what it's going to have to look like lineup wise for them to be successful. I don't know how they get defensive stops. I think they're just the benefactor of going against a bad Hornets offense in this game. But, you know, their their offense with love at five is, I mean, good luck. Good luck stopping that. Uh, and I agree with you, Brian. I mean, I thought the Hornets did some some good things in this one, uh, but having Dwight out there against lineups like this is just not it's just not logical, and it's not a winning formula. And I, you know, I I think if the Hornets would have gone smaller and, and had Zeller out there in more minutes during this game, they would have had a better chance um, to win. But both of these guys get in foul trouble. I mean, Dwight and Zeller had both had five fouls. 
uh, there in the second half. I guess it was early fourth, maybe even late third. Guy came and didn't get that in my notes. But so foul trouble was certainly an issue for the Hornets in this one. Um, you know, I thought the second unit just continues to be a collection of traffic cones defensively. I mean, they just cannot get out there, be be anything close to competent right now. Um, I mean, it's. I, I feel like, and we'll get into this conversation later, now that Carter Williams is back, um, I think that helps stabilize things a little bit. But, like, this second unit we've been trotting out there with Bacon and Munkin, and it, I mean, it, it started as can we just, like, break even uh, or, or come close to that with this group. And now it's just like can we – can we just escape only being outscored by like five points in 10 minutes or, or whatever it is over the entirety of a game? So, I mean, this group has just been horrible. Kaminsky, too. I mean, it feels like every – Cleveland went right at him in this game. Every team does. It feels like if he gets minutes in the first quarter, those first – you know, three of the first five or four possessions, teams go right at him. And they – I mean, Jeff Green and Korver, I mean, they punked Kaminsky on, on back picks and, and cuts a few times uh, in this game. And it's just tough to – it's – you can't. It's not good. It's not easy to put a functional defense together if three of the five guys out there are rookies and/or minus defenders. It's just not a winning formula. Yeah, Kaminsky. He on the defensive end, helping off the ball. He can get to the level of the ball. So if so, if it's a dribble penetration corner, uh, you know, on the baseline somewhere, you know, Kaminsky. He can think his way through it IQ-wise to the point where he gets down to the level of the ball defensively if his man's floating around the top or wherever. But if you ask him to, like, guard something as simple as, like, a flex cut or or a pin down when the ball's at the top, he is completely clueless and lost. I can't tell you how many times I've watched him just not help as he's guarding the screener on, like, a flex cut, not help and just show and tag that guy coming off the screen until his – it's just – Unbelievable to watch him play defense. He can get to the level of the ball, like I said, uh, from a vertical standpoint on the floor, but he cannot navigate any other kind of off-ball um, defense, and it's it really kills this. Really, really kills the second unit defense. I mean, this is about as flammable of a defensive unit. Yeah, the second five that we've been trotting out there. I can imagine Brian in the whole NBA. I mean, I, the, they're giving up. They're giving up 115 points for 100 possessions. Uh, that five. Monk, Bacon, uh, Lamb, Kaminsky, Zeller, and that's the rate of a top, a top of the best offense in the NBA scoring against them. So yeah, it, it the numbers back up the fact that it hasn't looked too pretty. Even though Zeller is a great, is a good defensive center and, and plays really, really hard, but uh, it's just not enough to make up for a, a lack of size and experience and just overall foot speed on the floor. Um, I did want to. I made a note here and start it because I didn't want to talk about this, how good we looked in the third quarter when Zeller was out there with Kimba for those extended minutes. I mean, I think you, you really got a glimpse into what this team was supposed to look like, you know, pre-Dwight Howard when Zeller's healthy, he's out there with Kemba. I mean, defensively, Zeller can get to the level of the screen. You know, he can trap sometimes. Other times he guards it flat. But he's able to give that pick-and-roll play different looks um defensively it keeps the offense on their heels a little bit and he just moves around he covers a lot of space you know he's a good rebounder i mean he just makes things difficult um you know as a defender and then offensively um you know he's running to sprint screens when he or sprinting to uh to set screens when he gets the ball at the top he's switching the floor um he can attack a closeout i mean things just happen it's read and react this is the way that the offense is supposed to look it doesn't look like it's you know slowly sinking 
uh, like it does when Dwight's out there. So, you know, that I thought was the most positive stretch of the game for the Hornets when Kimba and uh, and Cody were out there for I think maybe close to like nine minutes there in the third quarter, eight and a half, nine minutes. Yeah, I think Cody just fits better with this team on both ends. And you see that when you're defending the pick and roll, you see that when you're on the offensive end and running the pick and roll. I think defense to me is is the bigger issue when it comes to defending the pick and roll. Cody is able to show hard and then he's able to recover to his man who may be in the post by now. Dwight, he doesn't even attempt to show hard because he can't make that recovery to the post. So then it makes it more difficult for Kimba to kind of navigate those pick and rolls and and weave his way in and out. Uh, so the person that is receiving that pick and roll on the, on the opposition end is going to get open looks. But with Cody out there, uh, he's going to show hard and make that that ball handler get rid of the ball. And he's able to recover back to his man in the post. And I, and I, and t- I took a note of that, too, in the Chicago game. I feel like that was also a good example of how well Cody played with Kimba and uh, just with, with the first team as well. Yeah, you talked about his sort of the way he's been guarding these pick and rolls. It just feels like it's an automatic walk-up three for the, the ball handler, or they can get exactly to where they want to in the mid range. You know, they just, they're like, oh, I'd rather pull up from for, from 18 here and they can get directly into that spot and shoot it with little to no contest. And even, I can't even remember if it was the Cleveland game. I think it was actually Chicago with, with Lopez, but the guys can also just flip screen. So it's mm-hmm, like if, mm-hmm. if they set the, if, if the, where Dwight's player sets the first screen, the ball handler wants, it doesn't get quite to where he wants to shoot the ball. This, the the five, in which case against Chicago, it was Lopez, just flipped and they would go back the other way and then get another dribble and a half closer to the basket and then get to their spot and rise up and shoot. It's just, it's too easy, basically. And, and I think, I just, I can't see that changing. I, I would need to see what teams are shooting against Charlotte from those areas on the court. But, um, you know, they're getting, they're getting good looks and I, I just don't see how that's going to change. So, yeah, that was obviously a problem against Cleveland as well. Yeah, some some serious uh, on two occasions late in the fourth quarter, um, some pick and roll, you know, defensive just breakdowns that lead to layups for Cleveland. Um, I know on one of them, I think on both, you know, Dwight's anticipating, um, and like Brian saying, you know, the you know, Cleveland trying to flip that screen. Dwight's anticipating, you know, the Hornets, you know, icing uh, the sideline pick and roll. Uh, Cleveland flips it, so now he's out of position, and the middle of the floor is wide open. And on two occasions, I can remember a breakdown, you know, where Cleveland just gets a layup out of it. Um, it of course, that can't happen against LeBron James. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, I think the other thing is just, in the most disappointing aspect of this game, I thought was on the glass. Uh, Cleveland beat Charlotte fifty-one to forty-two overall, uh, and the Cavs gobble up sixteen offensive rebounds. I mean, that's just. It's too many. Uh, I know that they spread you out and you have to switch some so guys get out of position and, you know, long shots create more opportunities for offensive rebounds. But I just don't think that's an excuse uh, for a Steve Clifford coach team that usually cleans up the glass the way they do. I mean, I, the rebounding discrepancy in this one was surprising and, and probably the most disappointing. So um, Hornets never really felt once this third quarter, beginning of the third quarter started to slip out of their hands, never really felt like they were back in this one. No. Yeah, they were up. They were up eighty-two to seventy-nine uh, with three thirty-one left in the the third quarter. LeBron picked up his fourth foul, and then Cleveland closed that quarter on a nine-to-two run, and and just never, you know, Charlotte never got the got the lead back after that. 
that was definitely the the most important aspect moment sequence in the game is where LeBron went out. Van Gundy kind of he mentions it on the broadcast, like this is where Charlotte has to yeah. take advantage, yeah. and weren't able to do it. So it's a you know, microcosm of the season so far. But um, the only other thing I wanted to mention about this one was Kyle Korver, a really good game. If one of y'all may have mentioned him already, and I missed it, but he he trashed Charlotte, and yeah. Lamb couldn't find him, um, could not keep up with him running off screens. I think Bacon actually had a few opportunities, couldn't keep up with him. So I don't know. Like he played he's a great season, by the way, Corver. Yeah. He's just he's yeah. been he's having he's been phenomenal this year for Cleveland. But it was like I just. It was stuff that could have been prevented, right? Like if you're, you know, like to your point, Brian, like he's having a great season. He's been really one of the better lethal shooters in the Eastern Conference uh, as an off-ball just runner. And there was just no help. Like Lamb was coming off those screens just kind of like on an island. We had nobody showing, tagging him. I mean, he got some wide, yeah, wide open looks. A lot of times it was Jeff Green with Frank Kaminsky guarding him. Like you put Kaminsky in either half of those off-ball screens where either – He's the one being screened, or his guy screening someone else, and it's just the it, instantly there is a an, an avenue for the for the offense to attack every single time. It's it's unbelievable how bad Kaminsky is as an off ball defender, really just defender in general. But uh, yeah, I just thought it was too easy for Corver. I thought a lot of that could have been prevented with just a little bit of attention to detail and a little bit of kind of helping the helper, right? We just talk about that all, all the time with good defenses are helping the helper, and there just was not much of that going on, especially with the second unit defensively that night. Uh, and it just wasn't was not a good enough effort. Hey, I do want to give a nod to MKG. I thought he played well. He was um, he did very well in the mid-range game. Uh, he shot four or five in the mid-range, and a lot of those were him using a rhythm dribble. And if he can consistently knock down that mid-range shot, that to me will create a little bit extra spacing uh, because when he's out there, he doesn't create that spacing because he's never going to be a three-point shooter. He started slow defensively, but he picked it up towards the end of the game. But you know him on the offensive end, I, I like what I saw out of him in this Cleveland game and scored 22 points uh, and shot the ball very well uh, percentage-wise. I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but four, four or five in mid-range for sure. Uh, but he also finished with six rebounds, two blocks, and two steals. So if he consistently knocks down that mid-range shot uh, at a pretty good clip, I think that he's more playable. It's a good point, Richie, and he, he has looked really good. Yeah, uh, I think he's very comfortable with that mid-range shot, kind of to your point. And, uh, and yeah, he's had a lot of energy. I mean, defensively, he's kind of been doing what he does. Um, so if MKG can do that on the offensive end, uh, you, you can get, you can find him minutes, especially late in games. I'll just throw uh, this out there. MKG, by the way, 15 of 31 from the mid range, 48% and, uh, 71% on short mid range shots this year too. And 73% at the hoop. Uh, this has been a really strong shooting season for, uh, from, for, for MK, for Kid Gilchrist. He's, Really turned into again. He's never going to have that sort of horizontal spacing out of the three point line, but he's finding ways to help out. Absolutely. I mean, if he if he can knock down that jump shot, that mid range shot, uh, to go along with how good of a cutter he is, like he can, you can be passable as an offense, you know, and and spot minutes despite the spacing concerns. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to Chicago. Um, let's try to breeze through this, these depressing box scores and get to last night, which will help <laughs> us a little bit. But uh, wow, 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 wow. What a disappointing result on Friday night in Chicago. Kimball Walker scores 47 points. Just unbelievable from everywhere on the floor. It's just one of those games where – and Chicago's a terrible defensive team. Don't, don't get me wrong. 
Um, you know, they tried switching the one five pick and roll. Uh, they tried almost doubling Kemba in certain <clears throat> circumstances. Um, but he was just one of those games where he was absolutely unguardable one on one. And a lot of his magic in this game came from one on one, you know, opportunities. And he got to the rim a lot in this game, which we haven't seen Kemba do as much this season. Uh, just thought he was a magician. You know, in the pick and roll, um, Dwight was actually getting, I thought, to the top uh, of the key and setting some solid screens. Uh, the Hornet, it just felt like there was a lot more space around the rim for Kim in this game, and he exploited it. 47 points, 7 of 27 from the floor, 5 of 9 from deep, gets to the foul line nine times, six rebounds, five assists, one turnover. <laughs> and 30, I mean, it's just, it's it's remarkable when, when he gets in this kind of mode. Yeah, the should say that 47 points, that's the fourth uh, or the fifth 40-point game of his career, the 29th in franchise history. Uh, it's also the third most points ever scored in the history of the Hornets slash Bobcats. Uh, he, of course, has the record with 52 a couple years ago, and I think Glenn Rice is number two with 48. He was incredible, four of eight on above, above the break threes. And we kind of talked about this preseason, and I know we've been tracking it during the course of the year. But his ability to score at the hoop this year, I mean, again, he's going to get blocked because he's six feet tall or whatever. But using the rim to shield defenders or throwing it up real quickly with the left hand on the right side to just do whatever he can to get it up on the backboard as quickly as possible. It's been Mm -hmm. so impressive. And he's gotten really, really good at snaking back across pick and rolls and cutting into the defender that's trying to recover. And he'll do the Chris Paul thing where he he gets him on his hip. And he can he can either get a shot or draw a foul or whatever. He's just gotten so good at that. Once again, no surprise, he's leading the league in pick and roll points out of the pick and roll per game. Which again, this, this will be the this is we're going on year two of that. He's yeah. that good out of that action. Yeah, I mean this game this game was definitely he was on full full display. Uh, you know everything in his arsenal you saw. And in the third quarter, he scored uh, thirteen points alone of his forty seven, and six <laughs> of those six of those came in the final final minute of that third quarter. So we, we entered the first fourth quarter with, I think a pretty decent lead. And, you know, you had high hopes that we'd actually take down the Chicago bulls who had only had two wins coming into this game. But I think that's also part of the problem. The fact that he had to score 47 points and we still didn't win. That's, that's a big issue to me. He had to carry this team and he was going up against a player at times with Dunn, who was pestering him, making it even more exhausting. He still dropped 47 points, but I think the issue is nobody else really contributed uh, late in the game, and, and that's an issue. You can't have him score 47 points and this team lose a game, especially to Chicago Bulls. No doubt about that, uh, Richie. And uh, I think yeah, late in this game, just, just disappointing um, You know, to watch the Hornets just funnel down the same hole they have late in games, especially – you know, when Kimba is playing like this, um, you know, and Dwight Howard was out there late in this game and and, and Chicago uh, actually uses the <clears throat> hack of Howard there in the fourth uh, fourth stretch. And Dwight just kind of felt useless out there at the end of this game. I thought uh, it affected the Hornets. I you know, don't want to beat a dead horse here. We don't need to like go down this Dwight late in game rabbit hole. I think we've talked about it enough, <laughs> but I just don't understand like why you don't get him off the floor in these situations i mean i understand from from a standpoint of 
you know, we inherited this guy. We're going to beat our heads against the wall until this works, which is to your point, Brian, we talked about this. That's the definition of insanity, trying something over and over and over again and expecting some magical different result. So, and I thought this game just really, you know, shined the microscope on that. Nonetheless, uh, Hornets come up short here. Chicago, man, with some tough shot making in this one. I mean, Justin Holiday, 10 of 15, 4 of 7 from deep, 27 points. Chris Dunn, 10 of 16. I didn't even know he could shoot threes. He makes the two that he takes in this game. Nothing but net on both of those. He scores 22. Uh, Denzel Valentine, it looks like he's like chucking it out of a catapult when he shoots the basketball. And he he makes four threes, seven to fifteen for eighteen points. It was look like give Chicago credit, but it felt a little fluky. Yeah, they got. I mean, they'll they they don't usually shoot like that, right? I mean, those 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 are those are like replacement level at best NBA guards that all of which shot. What was it? Yeah, twelve of twenty six on above the break threes, five of eight on corner threes. It just and they even shot well, shot well at the hoop too. Um, but yeah, I, I thought first off, I'll say this about Chris Dunn. I thought his defense was incredible. Yes, I know people have been talking him up as a defender a lot recently. No doubt, boy, yeah. he did. He just make Malik Monk's day. Just, uh, I mean, <laughs> that didn't look like much yeah. fun. I'll say that. I mean, Malik only played ten minutes in this game, uh, and I also thought too late in the game, even when Monk was off the court. It was just taking Charlotte. They were getting into sets later than usual because he was checking whomever had the ball 94 feet. Yep. And it was, just, I mean, it was really impressive. I'll say this too about Denzel Valentine. He shot some of the ugliest floaters I have ever seen. And I think if, I think if Del Curry were a me, like Del Curry wanted to just tell him to just stop shooting. It was uh, funny to kind of <laughs> that during, during the broadcast. But uh, yeah, this was a game for, again, for Dwight where just too many post-ups and I thought his pick-and-roll defense was especially bad. Bulls score 1.3 points per possession with Dwight on the court. That was in about 28 minutes of action. Uh, Chicago's two centers, Lopez and Felicio, set a combined 13 screen assists. Those are assists that lead directly to a basket. Lopez had seven, Felicio had six. And for the record, Rudy Gobert leads the league in setting 5.2 of those per game. So, and again, not all those were against Dwight, and it's not all on Dwight. It's not fair to pin all that on him, but I think he's the sort of primary shareholder in terms of if you want to, if you want to hand out blame, it, he's the guy. He's just got to be. It's got to. He's got to be better. Um, does anyone, while you're on that, BG, does anyone remember what the closing lineup for the Bulls was in this game? I'm, I'm trying to find it right now. I, I should have written this down earlier. Give me a, give me a sec. I can, I can figure this out. Yeah, no, and kind of what you were saying, BG, I just piggyback off that for a second. While you find that is Chris Dunn, unbelievable, yeah, defensively. I mean, the Hornets literally could not get the ball past half. They couldn't advance the ball into the front court for Mm -hmm. two or three straight possessions there. And, uh, I mean, that guy can definitely be a bulldog type of defender. Uh, Lots of potential there. Moving, moving forward with his uh, with his future. And, look, he's in a great spot in Chicago. Like, they're going to be terrible this year, but he's going to yeah. get an opportunity to be himself as a player, which he was not, you know, in Minnesota. So I think I think this is a great place uh, for Chris Dunn to, to show that. But, yeah, just unsustainable um, <laughs> offensive performance here and a little bit fluky from the Bulls. Yeah, what I was curious, did they close with Markkinen at the five? Yeah, uh, they closed with him at the four. So the last five minutes they basically played with – 
Dunn, Holiday, Valentine, Markinen, and Lopez. And those guys played real. I mean, they, the last five minutes and 15 seconds of the game, those guys, seven of 12 from the field, two of four on, um, on, uh, on threes. The, the Hornets actually outscored them in that period of time, uh, mostly because of Kemba. But yeah, uh, <laughs> that, that was who they closed with. Lopez p- did play those minutes. But the Hornets in that stretch had Dwight Howard on the court the entire time, too. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I think in the last five minutes of this game, you know, right. And I think from like a matchup perspective, like Robin Lopez, Dwight Howard, like that's fine. Traditionally, those are two like lumbering centers going up against each other. But like Robin Lopez isn't the Robin Lopez that we're used to. Like that guy's he's, he's stretching it out almost all the way to the three point line now, really uh, hoisting up those long twos without any hesitation. So just the fact that he can present that as an as an offensive option for his team, it, it just more makes me more inclined to trot Cody out there because Dwight's now being pulled a little bit farther away from the rim. I just don't know. Like, I don't understand what you're getting from Dwight there. You can't Mm -hmm. extract as much from him defensively when he's somewhere farther from the basket because his man is floating around the three point line. Then offensively, obviously there's nothing to gain from having him out there because number one, the opposition can, you know, they they can use Hacka Howard, which the bulls did in this game. And then number two, well, number two, yeah, he just, he doesn't give you anything offensively. Uh, late in games he's not the best pair next to Kimba who should be the playmaker there because he doesn't set good screens and he's not committed to that aspect of the game so again like what I was curious about was did they finish with marketing if Dwight was out there against yeah. him which I didn't think was the case but if that was the case that would be inexcusable I still think it's questionable to have him out there um you know yeah. against against Lopez but I, anyway. I agree by the way and just looking at some some numbers too Dwight finishing screens out of the pick and roll this season. I mean, those he and Kemba as a partnership have been great because Kemba's Kemba's the best pick and roll guard in the league right now. Dwight, when he's finishing plays on this, only zero point seven uh, points per possession. Cody's up above one point one. Dwight shooting fifty percent on those, which is pretty good. But again, a twenty two percent turnover rate. And he gets to the free throw line 26% of the time. Teams are just grabbing him. They're just fouling him. Same thing on putbacks. I mean, teams are just either get to dunk or they're going to put him to the line. And uh, he's in free throws. See, that's the thing. If our best player is a pick-and-roll heavy player, why wouldn't you pair him with Cody, who is so good at setting screens? Um, you know, I love Dwight. He's been, he's been yeah, impactful exactly. like in the first three quarters of games. But when it comes down to crunch time, uh, you want to make sure that your your best player is successful and he's not exhausting himself uh, on on yeah. both ends of the court. Put Cody out there. That alleviates some of that problem. I think the best example in this game might not have been the end of the game, but if you watch the end of the first quarter, I took a note of it. Uh, Cody comes on with Kimba, and then I think there's like three bench players with him, but it's, it's him and Kimba working together. The last several minutes of that first quarter, you will see a difference. You know, Kimba, Kimba's able to work in space with the dribble handoffs, the pick and rolls. Cody's able to shift his body at the last second to kind of create those new angles for Kimba. It just reminded me a lot of last year. And then obviously on the defensive end, uh, you know, Cody, Cody's able to show hard and recover back to his man in the post. So we've said this time and time again, but if, if you're going to want your team to be successful, you obviously want your best player to succeed in pick and roll plays. So put Cody out there with them more often. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it, Richie. It's just like, <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. You simplify it to the point where it makes the most sense is, all right, if we're not going to put our best player, who's the best pick and roll player in the NBA with a good pick and roll partner in Cody Zeller instead with Dwight Howard 
well, why? Explain <laughs> to me what we're hoping to extract from that pairing, right? Like, what, what's what's the golden ticket there? Like, how how is that a better option? Like, if everything goes perfectly with Dwight and Kimba, then tell me tell me how that looks, right? Like, it, it's just it makes no sense. It is. Anyways, have you guys been have you guys been watching Mind Hunter on Netflix? Mind Hunter at all? Yeah. Uh. Uh. Yeah. It's 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 a show about where uh, the FBI uh, investigates and uh, interviews serial killers, and they want to get more information on why these serial killers do what they do. So I would almost want like you know us to sit down with Clifford and ask him why is it that you play? (laughs) Why are you why are you murdering this team? (laughs) No, it's it's an interesting show. You should watch it. But like they get into the minds of the serial killers. I want to get into the mind of Clifford right now. All right, I want you I want you guys to hear this real quickly. So in the fourth quarter of this season, Dwight Howard and Kemba Walker have played 89 minutes together. It's the most of any two-man combination for the Hornets. Charlotte, in that span of time, uh, 102 points per 100 possessions, defensive rating of 99 points per 100 possessions, a net of like two and a half, basically. So not terrible, not really not great, especially in these sort of like leverage situations. Now, here's Kemba Walker and Cody Zeller in the fourth quarter. So only 25 minutes in that time. Charlotte, 119 points per 100 possessions, which would be the best offense in the NBA by a pretty good margin, and a defensive rating of 87.3 points per 100 Net of plus 32 points per 100 possessions in 25 minutes of Kemba and Cody on the fourth quarter. I think we need to find a way to get more of that, probably. <laughs> uh, it's it's God Almighty, unbelievable. Um, so, anyways, that's amazing, Brian. I yeah. guess, I'm really glad you just found that. Um, I also, say one last thing about Cody in this game. He had a play in the third quarter that was just in. He blocked somebody from the rim from Chicago. He chased down the loose ball, then he dribbled the length of the court, and I think he hit. Yeah, he hit like he hit Kemba for a catch and shoot three in transition, and Kemba. Kemba drained it, and it was like, God, that it, the center just made that play, you know, like it was exactly. incredible. Um, well, and 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 the one thing you're supposed to get from Dwight, I would say, you know, in these late game situations or just in general, is like some rim protection. And Kemba's, you know, ISOed against who was it? Who who went by him? Maybe Holiday there at the very end. Done, maybe uh, done. Was it was done? I think okay, it's done. So maybe it's done. I think you're right. It was done. You're right. So. Just a left side of the floor, Kimba's isoed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dunk gets by him, kind of going baseline. And Dwight, like, Dwight just has one job there. Just slide over and protect the rim. Like, that's <laughs> literally the only thing we're asking you for because we're not going to get anything else. And he can't slide over in time. And Kimba is visibly frustrated, looks yeah. right at Dwight, throws his hands up. And you're just like, it's just you, – you can help off Robin Lopez. We'll, we'll rotate behind that and take something away. Yeah. But, like – yeah. You got to stop the ball going to the rim. It's unfreaking believable. Yeah. So Lawrence come up short. All right, can we get off this game? I can't talk. Yeah, about it was terrible. <laughs> Clippers uh, in Charlotte. A Clippers team without. Um, who else were they without here? Oh, uh, Danilo Gallinari. So really, really uh, shorthanded Clippers team. Uh, but this game was like I was telling you guys earlier before we jumped on. This is like straight out of the. It's like watching a, a Miami Heat, New York Knicks, like 1993 <laughs> playoff game. I mean, it was just straight out of the 90s, very slow pace. Um, DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard just <laughs> having a slap boxing fight that you felt like the whole first quarter. Uh, just just a really hard game to, to watch. I, I thought 
really the whole time. But Kimba, really good again, scores 26, age of 17 from the floor. Uh, he's got it going uh, from behind the arc right now. Uh, six of nine in this one after just a phenomenal performance in Chicago. So he's carrying this offense. Lamb really good off the bench. Um, you know, the Hornets actually, and let's give Dwight some credit. I mean, he, he really did attack the attack the glass in this one. Gobbles up 16 rebounds, um, scores 16 points, uh, 7 of 10 from the field. Thought is one of his better games in a while. And Marvin Williams continues to be sneaky good, yes. especially shooting basketball. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So, um, and uh, the only other thing, and then we can dive in deeper. I want to mention Michael Carter Williams returns. Um, not great offensively. I mean, scores five points, goes 0 4 from the field, but he that guy gets to the foul line. Yep. You know, he really adds that element. He's a he is an underrated slasher with the ball in his hands. He's a good off ball cutter, and so he's a good pairing with Kimba. And he can just go by his man a lot and, and get opportunities at the rim, get to the foul line, and he adds a defensive element. I mean, I really do believe that Michael Carter-Williams, the you know, God forbid if he can just stay healthy, he's really going to help this second unit, I think. Yeah, I think you know they're trying to slowly work him back into the rotation. But after that Chicago game, we just talked about how Dunn was just pestering Monk, you know, 90 feet from the basket. You know, Dunn had two steals in the first minute of the second quarter. Two steals in the first minute of the second quarter. Um, and it's just not good to have, you know, Monk facilitating the offense if you can't even bring the, the ball up the court. And the offense looked way more organized with Carter Williams out there. And he even got some, you know, some run in the first quarter. Uh, but obviously when he went in the second quarter with the second unit, uh, it just looked more organized. They were more aggressive. Like you said, he gets to the rim. He didn't shoot the ball too well, but he got to the rim and got to the free throw line. Um, and then once when Kemba came back on, and he got playtime with Carter Williams before Monk got playtime with Carter Williams. That's kind of when I knew that Monk really wasn't going to see the court uh, too much against the Clippers, which he didn't at all, I don't believe. Uh, no, he did not play at all. So, uh, yeah, I think that he's going to add you know, a different element. Uh, he can play with Kimba. He can play without Kimba. Uh, but I would like to see that pairing moving forward. And he's going to bring that defensive side to uh, his game, which, which Clifford loves. Yeah, I, I was good to see him on. I thought he had a productive game last night. Um, I don't think the, the box score tells the whole whole story with him. I do. I, I guess I kind of have a quick question, and I don't, I don't mean to go down a, a tangent here. We can get more into the game, but um, one thing was obviously Malik didn't play last night, and I, I will say I, I kind of kept an eye on it. I, I watched the tape after the game, and so I knew that he didn't play at all. He was up cheering the whole game, so give him credit. I mean, that's yeah. a game you probably could easily checked out on, and, and, and especially on the second night of a back-to-back and just been mopey about it. Uh, he was up the whole game every time there was a big play, even even in the third, fourth quarter. But um, what do you guys think of him at this point? I get Bacon is significant, is several inches taller than him and can probably more credibly guard threes, but we just discussed that he's a, not a very good defender and that this second unit defense is already bad. What do you think about kind of the the perimeter pairing off the bench of MCW Monk and Lamb? I, I know it's a little it's, it's smaller, but um, just finding a way to get Malik shooting on, on the floor as as opposed to w- whatever Dwayne is adding to this team. I think Dwayne's had a nice season and it's been kind of a, ple- a pleasant surprise, but it's been tough recently, and maybe it might not be a bad idea to find a way to get again just to. You're going to give up points no matter what. Yeah. If guys like Minsky and Lamb are on the court, so just finding if MCD if MCW is out there, that should help. And you know, you just stick Monk on whomever the 
worst perimeter. If they're going against backup guys, right. less teams are staggering minutes. It's not like Lamb or Carter Williams is going to have to guard like LeBron or something like that. So maybe finding a way to re- reconfigure the rotation a little bit there. Yeah, I think that 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 trio right there, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind it. I think the biggest thing with the second unit to me um, is you know they're never going to stop anyone on a consistent basis. But if they can score the ball and Monk is shooting the ball well. I don't mind Same. if he's out there. So, That's you know, you have Lamb who can facilitate the offense with with his dribbling, um, and he can mm-hmm. get buckets when he needs to. You, you got Carter Williams who is, a, you know, a defensive-minded point guard. So I, I think it works. I think it could work with those three in certain situations. Uh, it might not see a lot of minutes together, but just to keep Monk out there, uh, I think those three, yeah. I, would, I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind it either. I think it's a pairing that could work. To your point, Brian, I mean <laughs> – you're going to, you're going up against second units. If you're going to have Frank Kaminsky out there, you're giving up points anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think from a coaching perspective for Steve Clifford, I think this is kind of what he wanted. He wanted to be able to create a little bit of a competition between Dwayne Bacon, Malik Monk, and Travion Graham, right? Like, I, I, I have a feeling like this is going to be a little bit of like a rotating door uh, in that last spot of the rotation on the wing when the Hornets are healthy, which they're getting there. They're almost back really to full strength. I think you're going to see some nights where like Dwayne Bacon gets a DMP. You're going to see most nights where Travion Graham gets that. Uh, And then like last night, you're going to see where Malik Monk gets that. I mean, I think like that is a healthy conundrum, if if you will here, like the fact that you can create some competition for those minutes with some young guys, right? Like they're just not being awarded those minutes. Like I think maybe Malik Monk might have assumed I'm a little – like I wonder a little bit from if it's smart to give Bacon those minutes over Monk, like which now that Carter Williams is back, this is what we saw first, and it might be more of a matchup thing last night. But you know, Bacon to me has been we know his limitations offensively. He's really not ready to stretch it to three point line. Uh, we've seen that regress his his willingness to take that shot as the season's gone on. He's really just good from mid range. Doesn't just doesn't give you much offensively, and then defensively, he's just not ready yet. He's not there. I think that he's in position more often and more willing to help than a guy like Malik Monk. But from a net, what you get from a net rating perspective, I, I still think that Monk's the smarter guy to have out there just because of what he can give you offensively. But again, like I think this is kind of what Clifford wants to have. He wants to have a well, you got to prove it. You have to earn it. This has always been his thing with rookies, and now he kind of has this. He has that ability. He has that little ace in the deck that he can play that card with these guys now. Um, so I think it's going to be a little bit of a rotating door. But on with a gun in my head on any given night, I'd, I'd give Monk those minutes. But yeah, yeah, same here. Well, like you said too this this was a little bit of a, sl- a sluggish game. Only ninety nine possessions, uh, which is about three fewer than 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 Charlotte averages per game. Uh, Charlotte's actually top ten in pace right now, which like huh. is something I never thought I'd see. In terms of uh, in terms of a Steve Clifford coach team, but they're I think they may even be top eight. And yeah, both teams, Clippers and Hornets, both have effective field goal rates around forty five percent, which is not good. And that is evidence of a game that was not well played offensively, and also features two centers on both sides, DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard, that you know can't really make free throws and stuff too. So yeah, ultimately not not a real real pretty game. But for the Hornets, just eight turnovers in the game. Yep. Uh, which is the season low and a turnover rate of yeah right you know right around eight percent 
and that also was a, uh, a season low for for Charlotte. So that they were they took care of the ball last night, and, and Kemba made his threes. That's usually a good recipe for for Charlotte. I feel like Clifford would take this game, you know, ten times out of ten. You know, low low and, possessions. Uh, you know, take care of the ball, like you said. We only had yep. eight eight point four turnover percentage. Um, mm-hmm. Out rebound your opponent. Shoot decently from the free throw line. Um, you know, we're still struggling in that aspect. In the fourth quarter alone, we went eleven for eleven in the in the uh, free throw line. So even Howard made all his free throws in the fourth quarter. So yeah. this is definitely the typical game that Clifford would want. All the ingredients for a low scoring, defensive minded win here. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, definitely a, a Clifford S type of game. The Hornets doing the things, um, you know, cleaning up the glass, taking care of the ball. You know what you mentioned. Uh, doing those little things to win the game. But, I mean, you just look at, like, the Clippers. I mean, Wesley Johnson plays 31 minutes. Sindarius Thornwell gets 30 minutes. Uh, Austin C.J. Rivers. Williams, baby. My boy. C.J. Williams uh, gets eight minutes. I mean, just, like, some of the guys they had to trot out there uh, during this one was, was actually – this is amazing. Uh, I didn't even know they were that thin uh, when when they are injured, which they are now without Beverly and Gallinari last night. So it, it's a win. You know, it was a grinded out again, not a very pretty game, um, but a result that the Hornets needed in, in the worst way. Uh, you know, I thought Nick Batum, he, he's not shooting the ball well yet. And, you know, we can expect, you know, somewhere in the range of a 30 to 35 percent outside shooter. But, you know, he is adding the element to the offense of just more creativity, more movement off the ball. Uh, you know, the, the angles that he sees passing lanes from, he had a beautiful one mm-hmm. to Dwight last night in kind of a semi uh, transition where he rewards the big man for running the middle of the floor. It just kind of threads the needle. I mean, beautiful pass. I mean, yeah. so he, you know, we kind of slowly but surely remember, you know, what Nick Batum brings uh, to this offense. And he's not really turning the ball over here through three games very often. So he's, you know, that is a, a positive sign. If that continues to be a trend where Batum is giving you that five, six assists a game, but he's knocking down those turnovers, which have been really a big problem that have plagued him in, in the past seasons. Uh, that's a that's a great development for the Hornets offense. So and the ball just moves when he's out there. So yeah. um, I, I would add against the Clippers. I know this was a slower game, too, but the Hornets have two hundred and ninety two passes last night. Um, that's the third most they've had in a game so far this season for the year. They're averaging a little like around two hundred and sixty eight per game. So, again, that's probably not all credit to Batum, but I do think he's at least somewhat responsible for the ball flying around a little bit more and not having it all just be straight one five or one four pick and roll or pick and pop with Kemba. And the only other note I had here, I do want to mention Jeremy lamb, a really good game from him. He's just, he's really come a long way as a creator now and a confident player in the pick and roll. I mean, that guy can get to the foul line. It feels like some nights just whenever he wants, if he gets to his left hand, he's, he's going to at least get to the foul line, probably finish if he's not fouled. And, so it just continues to be so vital for Charlotte. And now he's with the second unit exclusively with Batum back. He doesn't really appear that he's lost a step. I mean, he's, he's meshing with the second unit just fine. It doesn't affect his effectiveness as an offensive player. So another positive trend for Charlotte if that continues. Yeah, he's um, shooting 45% out of the pick and roll this year, which is pretty good. Um, it's actually right on par with Kemba, although Kemba's shooting a few more threes. So his effective rate is higher. But that's better than DeRozan, Conley for Jeremy Lamb out of, out of the pick and roll this season. Which is, those are two of the best pick and roll players on earth. And so Lamb has done a nice job. He needs to cut down on the turnovers a little bit, but has scored well out of the pick and roll this year. 
Yeah, real, real positive sign uh, for the Hornets there. Oh, so while we're on Lamb, he did leave the game and did not return last night with a right hamstring injury. So I'm sure we'll get more on that. Probably not today, but I'm sure tomorrow morning uh, you'll hear more on that. So Clifford says after the game it's he doesn't expect it to be serious. Uh, but the Hornets do play Monday night, so I, I would think that I would think Jeremy Lamb will probably be questionable for that game. Would be my guess. But uh, anything else in this one? Uh, just want to add again to Kemba and Batum have paired really well together. Um, those guys scoring 116 points per 100 possessions when they're out there for 82 minutes, net rating of over 13 points per 100 possessions. And it's even better when it's Batum, Lamb, and Kemba, which I think inspires a little bit of confidence for some end-of-game lineups they can go to uh, as the season progresses. Before we get out of here, we need to get to some Twitter questions. We actually have quite a few, I think, today, right? Yeah, we got we got a couple. So our first Twitter question comes from at D-Train for Life. Um, the question asks, is it time to rework the starting lineup in order to help the second unit? And I'll, I'll start off. I, I would say no. I like the starters as they are, um, but I would like to see Cody get more minutes than you know 20 minutes a night or whatever he's getting. And especially, I think we need to rework the end-of-game lineups. And we talked about this I don't know, five, six episodes ago where we talked about, you know, I, I can't see Dwight not playing the fourth quarter at all. But when he sits the beginning of the fourth quarter, that means he's going to finish the game. Until we start seeing Dwight in the beginning of the fourth quarter, uh, we can pretty much guarantee that he's going to be ending the games. And, you know, Brian just threw out all those stats with with Batum, with Kimba, uh, with Zeller especially. Uh, when he plays with Kimba, uh, just things just run smoother. So I, I don't think we need to rework the starting lineup by any means. I like how it is. Um, I like now that Batum is back, Lamb's working with that second unit, and he's a consistent uh, player in that unit. But I think we need to start thinking about how to end games. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, would you rework the starting lineup at all? Nah, I'd keep it the same. I actually think the starting lineup has played pretty well together. Uh, and I know this question was sort of guided towards how, how it could maybe help the second unit. But I don't think bringing MKG off the bench, just throwing this out hypothetical out, I don't think that's going to help the second unit score more points or anything like that i think maybe playing malik monk over Dwayne bacon that might stuff like on the margins might help a little bit but here's the bottom line when kemba sits and batum will help this some if they stagger those minutes a little bit more but when kemba sits this team's gonna have trouble scoring the basketball even if nick batum and cody zeller are out there and they're they're good they're good players to be running on a second unit offense but the offense is historically bad when Kemba doesn't play. And so I just don't think there's a simple – for a team that doesn't have a ton of talent, I just don't think there's a lot of options as far as like reconfiguring the rotation or lineups and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think there's a magic answer, but and I would not mess with the starting, starting lineup. But exactly what Brian said, I think that you do need to explore staggering Kemba and Batum a little bit more than you're doing now when you're Steve Clifford. I mean, he's just got the, the, the pure second five out there for too many minutes, I would say, for my liking. I mean, the Hornets just aren't talented enough to get away, I think, with those minutes, survive that over the long haul of an 82-game season. Uh, again, Carter Williams will help there, but... Yeah. But but Batum's got to play more minutes to me with that second unit. I mean, I you know I think you might have something with Carter Williams, Batum, Lamb. Uh, I, I don't know you know how you get Batum the rest. You know, in late in the third, mid of the third, you know whatever it is, if he's going to be staggered more with the second unit. But 
I just would be nervous if the Hornets see extended minutes with that bench unit um, out there as just the pure second five. I think I think you got to stagger a little bit more with your best two players. Yeah, and it, Kimba plays typically the full first quarter. So uh, if you want Kimba to play with the second unit a little bit more, then uh, Carter Williams has got to come in earlier in the first quarter if if that's what Cliff wants to do. Uh, the next yeah. Twitter question comes from at Patrick Connor seven. Uh, would starting Howard and Cody together make any sense? Uh, I would say, for the most part, no. I don't think that's going to be uh, beneficial to start those two together. I think uh, at times during the game, they might be beneficial to play together. But for the most part, especially in the starting lineup, I don't think it makes sense. I think those two need to be split up. And, um, you know, because we don't really have any other centers out there unless you count Kaminsky as one. So I would, I would say no. I don't think those two should start together. No, I think maybe if you're doing it for the purpose of kind of mixing it with the first Twitter question that it, it would let Marvin come off the bench probably first. So maybe therefore his shooting helps the, the second unit offense a little bit. But I just don't Dwight and, and, and Cody have played just 10 minutes together so far this season. Defense has been really good in that stretch. The offense has been really bad. Um, they do have a positive net rating, a pretty considerable one, but there's probably a fair amount of noise in, in some of those numbers. So I don't think Clifford really trusts it all that much, although he did use it against the Clippers, I believe, for a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Those guys closing one of the quarters. But um, but no, nah, I just I don't think that's going to be the any sort of solvent. And um, you're cramping a, a floor that's already pretty, uh, pretty yeah. congested, too. So no, nah, I would not do that, although I am... I am here for more minutes for for Cody Zeller, but I don't think that's the way to that's the way to do it. Yeah, no, they did roll it out uh, last night. BG, you're right. Um, I mean, you know, it, it works when you're going up against a bruising front line. You know, yeah. Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. So yep. you can you can explore with it a little bit, or maybe when Frank Kaminsky is just terrible and you can't get away with him uh, <laughs> on the floor. You know, you can roll Cody out there and just try it with Dwight. You know, late in games for for you know in the middle of the fourth during a stretch, but. Uh, but yeah, I don't think that you should explore those two being on the floor extended minutes, especially starting. You're just, yeah, our offense is already bogged down as it is yeah. to start games. If Kimba's not rolling and you, you try Zeller out there next to Dwight and it's, it's going to be painful. Yeah. And Kaminsky was pretty bad last night. Totally not a factor. Uh, he was not oh. making anything. So when he doesn't make anything, he's pretty much not a factor in the game. Oh, four on threes, by the way, for Kaminsky last night. He's nice. now 15, he's now 15 of 50 on catch and shoot threes, 30%, which mm-hmm. is, it, it's gotta be 40. It just can't, it can't be <laughs> I'll give you 35 at least. I mean, they, I mean they, not, there's yeah. no there's no signs of improvement for Frank Kaminsky. Zero in any in any aspect of his game. <laughs> he shoots from everywhere on the court and everywhere is a dead zone. Like go go to go to the cleaning the glass page and pull up like where he ranks from literally every zone on the floor compared to the league average or whatever. And it's just it's it's comedy. Short mid range at the rim. What, like, like 15, 15 percentile or even lower than that? I just, I, I mean, right there. I mean, it's bad everywhere. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not pleasant. That's for I sure. I mean, look, we, we've talked about it. the only, the most positive thing he brings to the basketball court <laughs> offensively is the fact that he can just stand at the three point line. <laughs> it's just the fact that, like, the defender has to know he's there. Yeah. Now, if, if defenses would just understand <laughs> that you just, just let him take the shot, like, Three out of ten times it's going to go in. You can live with that. It's a bad shot from an efficiency standpoint. Yeah. When he when he's shooting it, so it, he's he's yeah. in the he's in the twenty fifth percentile for field goal percentage at the rim, 
He's in the 27th percentile for field goal percentage from long mid-range. And he's in the 21st percentile on above-the-break threes, mm. according to cleaningtheglass.com. It's bad, you guys. <laughs> those Something's- are the areas. Like, that's the, those are the places he's supposed to score from, you know? And it's just not happening. And something has to give, I think, there for, with this rotation. I mean, why, we've gone down the Frank Kaminsky rabbit hole here. But, I mean, again, 82-game sample. I just You can't get away with those minutes. You, so, you, you can't. Something's got to give here with, with Frank. You brought this up. You brought this up with Monk a few minutes ago when we were talking about the rotation there. And look, maybe it's different because they're, they're different players, or, or maybe it's even different because Monk is was a is a 19 year old rookie. And when Frank came out, he was probably 22, going on 23. Actually, I think his birthday is in April. But r- regardless, why is that? You know, you talked about how Clifford may be trying to rotate those minutes around a little bit just to make sure that Malik or Dwayne or whatever feels like they're earning those minutes. Why has that never happened with Frank Kaminsky? Yeah, it that the team is lacking uh, another, maybe right. another credible power forward. But Johnny O'Brien is there, or or just move guys around. Try playing MKG at the four. Like, why does Frank Kaminsky know that if I suit up, I'm playing 25 minutes tonight, no matter what? It's just I'm going to play 12 and a half minutes every half, and yeah, been like that for three years now. And there's just and the play has got it. It, it can't be. I mean, maybe the team has some sort of secret sauce numbers that say when Frank Kaminsky's out here for whatever reason, and it's stuff that's not publicly available to to, to the three of us or whatever. But it just it's the eye test isn't pretty, and any of the stuff that's public publicly available number wise to look at says this guy hurts this team defensively so bad. And even if he helps the spacing a little bit, that sort of marginal improvement shouldn't be worth the fact that he can't shoot from anywhere on the court except for one out of every like four or five games. Yeah, I, I think that the the numbers suggest off from an off offensive rating, you know, standpoint is that most of the lineups that Frank is out there, especially with Kimba, well and really Kimba with anybody is a positive net rating. But I mean, he does provide the spacing to make it worthwhile um when he's out there with with Kimba or with Batum. Um you know, and it's, again, it's just the fact that he can stand out there and just pull his defender away from the from the basket at the power four position. But yeah, I mean, from the eye test, from like a shooting numbers perspective, like there's nothing that suggests like we should continue down this this pat this experiment with Frank Kaminsky. And look, he's still on his rookie deal. Like, yeah. I just think the Hornets need to make a decision here. Like, if if you're just gonna keep kicking this rock down the road and then just you know not offer him, you know, just let his rookie contract run out, let him go into restricted free agency. Like, that's fine. That That's an okay path. Like, I don't, I'm not going to hate on that. But right. if you want to be a playoff team, if you want to be able to extract some kind of valuable minutes from your backup power forward, then I would look at trading this contract because this is it. Like, th- you have to trade it this season. If you don't do it now, you're just going to live with him until he exits the NBA, which I think it's still in play yeah. um, once his rookie deal runs out. So, like, Either trade him now and get very little back. Or just give Johnny O'Brien those minutes. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're going to be a better basketball team, I think. Maybe that motivates Frank to play better. You know what I mean? He's just, But he's always been able to – it's like he knows if he just stays at a certain level, he's never going to usurp Marvin in the starting lineup. But he's also never at any risk of losing his place in the top nine of the rotation. Like he's, right. he's just locked in because he backs up a 32-year-old guy. He's locked in for X amount of minutes per night. And by the way, like I, I know the offensive rating is is not terrible when Frank's on the court or whatever, but he's another one of those guys that's totally attached to Kemba. Um, yeah. when, when the Hornets with Kaminsky on the court this year and no Kemba are a net rating of minus 22. 
They scored 88 points per 100 possessions, which which would be the worst <laughs> offense in the NBA by a mile. Like Frank Kaminsky isn't the solvent, this like spacing agent. You know what I mean? I mean he he adds that, but that, that he doesn't solve those right. offensive issues. Everything is everything good that happens with this team offensively is attached to Kemba. Period. Like that's it's everybody. You know. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just it's I just don't understand why for a guy like Clifford said it after the loss to Chicago like. The young guys can't feel. I, 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 don't, I don't want to misquote him, but didn't he say something sort of vaguely about, you know, guys need to, or maybe it was even after the Cleveland game about younger players needing to earn time or something? Yeah. Something along those lines. It's like, why has that never been the case with Frank Kaminsky, you know? Like, no, hey, Brian, no, look, this is my biggest thing with Cliff and his rotation and how he sends these messages through the media is that, like, that's fine. And I agree with like young guys should earn their minute. Like I love that, but don't be don't send mixed messages because if that's going to be the case, then why should not? Why should Johnny O'Brien not have the opportunity to compete for, for with Frank Kaminsky for yeah. those minutes? And why shouldn't Frank feel the same heat? I one hundred percent agree with you. I think it's an inconsistent message that Clifford has always sent, uh, and it 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 doesn't make sense when you start to get to the boiling point uh, of some players in this lineup. Uh, I think it's a great great point. I really do. I like how we went down this rabbit hole with uh, episode 44 and for Frank Kaminsky. This is very fitting, <laughs> yeah. very fitting. But what were you going to say, Brian? No, nothing. Uh, that, that's funny. Um, for Just in honor of for the rest of the day, I'm just going to do everything at 30% capacity. Like, I'm, just, uh, I'm just not going to – I'm going to perform at only 30% in all my tasks for the rest of the day. I, I would like to add, as, as much as uh, Frank has struggled, Marvin, we kind of talked about this a little bit ago, but, man, he's having a great season. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has been – this has been – which one of you, Richie? It was you. You wrote about before the year started about a sort of a bounce back year for Marvin, right? Yeah, was the, that was I thought he started pretty slowly to begin the season. But maybe the last, I don't know, seven games, he's been shooting the ball pretty well. Forty-three percent on catch and shoot threes, which is above. I mean, that'll come down, but that's above where he was two years ago. He's also shooting twenty-one percent of his field goal attempts have been corner threes, which is a career high, and he's shooting fifty-two percent on those suckers, and like. He's moving so well without the ball. They're doing some really cool stuff in the way he's slipping screens and the way they're – there was one play last night. They run this sort of wedge pick and roll a lot or pick and pop where MKG comes in from the wing. He screens Marvin's man who's coming across to set a screen for Kemba. And instead of one time, MKG picked Marvin's guy and he just flared to the corner instead and got a – drilled a three. He's been incredible this season. So uh, that was my mini Marvin Williams rant. Yeah, had to had to get him in there. Had to get him in there. And there was only one more question left on Twitter, but it was pretty a, a non-serious one from Chris Axman. He asked if uh, Dwight wears oven mitts during games, or does he just drop every pass on purpose? <laughs> I think he'd actually have a better chance of catching the pass if he wore oven mitts. Um, <laughs> uh, I, w- I wish he would. Yeah, let's not go back down the, the Dwight Howard yeah. <laughs> conversation, but it's not it's not going to get better, Chris. I can almost guarantee you that. Well. Uh, thank you for everybody that submitted those Twitter questions. Thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, another good episode here. Again, this is episode 44 of BuzzBeat Radio. Do not forget we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. So check out almightyballer.com and also check out our good friends over at Sports Channel 8. That's sportschannel8.com. They got all your North Carolina sports covered. Uh, all right, boys, we'll go enjoy your Sunday. Uh, as we get into next week, Hornets are at home tomorrow against Minnesota on a Monday. Uh, and then, I don't know, what does the rest of their week look like? They got four games this week. 
Spurs Spurs on Friday. I know I know that because they keep advertising that game. Wednesday, um, Washington at home. It's tough. Friday at Cleveland. Saturday home versus Spurs. Spurs. I think that's the right. Dwight bobblehead. That's so, right. That's the yeah. It's Saturday, not Friday. My bad. So three of the four games here at home, Correct. but all games against teams that uh or or at least three games well at least two games above 500 so going to be a tough week for the hornets i think i think if you feel like you get two of these uh you're happy so yeah yeah (laughs) happy probably all right uh another great show thanks to everybody again and we will see you next week